this morning, I'm going to take you to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, continuing to verse 25. From time to time, I'd say look at our lives and wonder the purpose of why we are here. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Who am I to, to suppose that I have any purpose in life? Or is there someone, something I'm supposed to impact? And we hear these things like, you know, God has a purpose for your life. Um, sometimes we hear that the purpose is for us to live our best life now. <clears throat> Boy, that's sad, if that is true. But we wonder, don't we? There are times that we do consider that. And maybe when we go through hard times, if there's suffering that occurs in our our lives, um, what is the purpose of that suffering? What is the purpose of what I'm going through? Uh, I'm sorry to say that when I suffer, my first reaction isn't... uh, Lord, what are you doing and and how are you working in this? But sometimes it's, why me? The audience that Peter is going to be speaking to today as we read our passage is an audience that has suffered. In fact, a lot of the the main emphasis of 1 Peter is suffering. It's standing firm in the things that come our way in life. Some are slaves, some are not, some are freed men. Uh, but all as he talks to believers in God, they have been called to be God's possession, and so now they are living out life. This morning, I believe that we have a purpose that God has ordained for our life, and we find that purpose in the purpose of the cross. As you will have noticed, many of our songs this morning has led to our focus to the cross. Jesus hated all. Jesus, I my cross have taken. For us as believers, if you are a child of God, to see the cross and to respond to God's purpose of the cross. Before we read and before we unpack our passage today, I'd like to pray and ask God's help. Gracious God, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace to us. Now undertake by your Holy Spirit to give us the understanding of your word. We cannot understand without you. And Father, would you interpret my words in the ears of the listener that it might strengthen them. Lord, my words are nothing, but yours are eternal. Everlasting, they give life. And so would you use your word this morning to do the work that we need in our hearts and lives. We will give you the praise and glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Peter writes, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you, for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. <clears throat> and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threat, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. 
And He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. You were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. Peter's writing to those, and if you start in verse 13 and start to look at what he's saying in chapter 2, you see that he's leading up to some, some pretty intense things. 13, submit yourself to the Lord's sake to every human institution. He's talking about submitting, and he's not living in a great time. He's not leading, living in a democracy or a, as we, a democratic republic. He talks about that. If free, don't abuse your freedom to do evil, but live as bondservants to, to God, he writes in verse 16. Honor all people, love the brotherhood in 17. Fear God, honor the king. He talks to servants. He says, those be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For, we, for this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Verse 20, for what credit is there when you sin and harshly treated, you endure it with patience. Okay, you sin and you endure with patience your consequences. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure, this finds favor with God. For you've been called to this purpose. That's the purpose. This idea of suffering and bearing up under things. He's been called to a purpose. Verse 21 again. So now with that framework, we've been called to a purpose What's that purpose? Is since, he's framing it, since Christ also suffered for you. Let's think a bit of, of that suffering. The suffering of the thing. You've been called for a purpose, but let's take you back. Since Christ has offered, suffered for you. Believer, he suffered for you. Then, he's leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Paul uses a, a kind of a rare term for the New Testament. And uh, they rendered here as example. Uh, the word reads uh, somewhat, almost literally, underwriting. The idea of underwriting, or it's a model to be copied. We could think tape, paint by number, but I went back to my childhood. I don't know if you still do this anymore. And Do they teach cursive anymore? I don't know. Uh, but uh, you remember this? Maybe you traced it, okay? Maybe you, maybe you, did, you just typed. You're so you know, techie, you just typed. You didn't have to worry, worry about writing. Uh, but you trace that. Maybe your keyboard head. But, you know, ASDF, you can see that you don't type line. This is the idea of underwriting. You have something, a template, which you put down your life to be traced. Here's what you say. Christ also has suffered for you, leaving you a template, something that you can trace your life upon. You place your life on his so that you may trace the course of your life and really to follow his steps, not literally in his steps up to Calvary's hill, but to follow his direction, his goal. You're tracing your life to follow his goal, his way of living. And he is indeed the plan, the purpose. And we see, first of all, today, our purpose number one. The purpose of his suffering is so that we follow in his steps. He set out. King of heaven. He could have done it any way to purchase our redemption had he planned. But the eternal plan of God 
how he laid it forth was that God, very God, sinless, perfect, died, made himself a sacrifice. He suffered for us. Follow his steps. Think about, think back to the suffering of Christ. Just the last day and a half before his death. You think of the, the abuse that he bore in the garden roughly handled after being kissed and betrayed. Beaten. Buffeted about the face. Eventually his beard pulled out. A, a whip, possibly a cat of nine tails with bones or some kind of sharp object embedded in it, beaten across his back until his back did not resemble anything that was human. He bore more suffering, the Bible tells us, than any other man. And there, after that, mocked a robe, put on him, hey, hail, king of the Jews. And then led to Calvary under the weight of that cross. And then nailed. Nails piercing through his hands. I almost bought and played for you a video of the sounds of Calvary. There was nothing there that was visually graphic. The sounds of Calvary. But the sounds was enough to bring tears to your eyes. So there he hung between heaven and earth. He suffered, paid your debt, my debt. He says, I'm, I want you to follow my direction. Purpose. Number one, you suffer, you follow his steps. But it's not fair. Why do I have to fill in the blank? It was my sin and your sin that caused him to suffer. You want to talk about not fair? So he suffered and died for us. Peter wants to make this a little more poignant for it. So he goes to the next verse and he writes, and this verse that he uses is from Isaiah 53. Who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Isaiah 53 says, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. See, when he suffered, he didn't suffer for his own sins. And here, you think about the deceit. He made a claim that he was God himself. He did not deceive us. He lived openly before men without deceit. Peter continues here and he writes so that we can kind of get the understanding. When while being reviled, he did not revile again. The idea of reviling is verbal abuse. You think in a court of law or, I don't know, you see things like that. Verbal abusive. That's the idea. It's in their words they abused him. We understand already. And their deeds, but also in their words, their music. But he did not return. He did not give that abuse back. See, he was the, he was the 
the, the model, the template for suffering. Okay? A persecution. He didn't. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He didn't say, well, if I ever get out, I'm going to take care of you, buddy. The old gospel song. He could have called 10,000 angels. He only needed one, but, you know, 10,000 would be a little overkill. But he could have done that. But he died alone. That's the song goes for you and me. He didn't hurl threats. He was not there to ease his suffering. He was there to pay our sin debts. See from last week's message to this week the centrality of the cross and who we are and how we live. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him. Who judges righteously? Interesting, fascinating phrase to entrust, to give oneself over. Who's the him? To the Father, God the Father. See, God the Son, very God, placed himself underneath the Father, so that he might be humble and come as a man, still God, fully God, fully man, if you want to go to the theological one, it's a hit the sack okay? But he entrusted himself to the Father who judges righteousness. Remember our model in suffering? We don't revile back, we don't offer threats. We trust ourselves to the hand of God. We place our lives in his hands. See the template. See the direction we are to walk. See the gracious example of our Savior. Was he sinless? Yes. No deceit, no skill, deception at all. Nothing. He left the vindication to the Father. He is our example. I wonder, our example, now we live in a Western culture, and often we think the little bit of scorn that we get is persecution. And often we think of the persecuted church across the the sea, those those people uh, separated from us, and we pray for their deliverance, when we should pray for grace and strength, that they entrust themselves, that when it's our turn, we entrust ourselves to the Father who judges righteously. Now he's going to make a transition as he continues here, but we're going to give our second purpose. Verse 24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin, live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. And I read this as purpose, but also as motivation. Also as motivation. He bore our sins on the cross for this purpose. Purpose number two has two parts. What is that? In fact, he, the, the, the phrase he bore our sins comes from Isaiah 53 again. Uh, not an exact quotation, but you see the flavor of what Peter's thinking. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, that we esteemed him stricken, smitten, 
of God and afflicted. Jesus bore, he carried our sins. And the, the idea the reading here gives us of carrying up from a lower place to a higher place. He carried our sins alone. No one else could have done it. He himself. He didn't assign it to an angel. He didn't assign it to, to anyone else of lesser. He bore our sins himself. He took our blame so that we, number one, might die to sin. This idea of so what, uh, so that, uh, it is uh, a word, he in the Greek, that it's, it's a purpose. And so you start looking at this word. And so I got a word study search on just this word. And I started seeing the purposes of different things. And then I cross-referenced the purpose. And with that word in cross or crucifixion. We are to die to sin because the purpose of his death is that we to die to sin. Let's look through here. Um, Romans 6, 10 through 14. For the death that he died, he died to sins once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Actually, we'll come to the second part. Uh, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Continuing, therefore, do not let sin reign, rule, occupy, take up residence, and, and, and be the monarch in your mortal body that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting, here he is, here I am. Do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. You're not under law, but under grace. See, the purpose that Christ has for us in his suffering on the cross, he bearing our sins that we are to die to sin. And over and over in the New Testament, Paul, Peter, John write of this death to sin. The fact that sin does not have ruling authority over us unless we place ourselves under it. That the grace of God is sufficient for us to keep us from the power of sin. The presence of sin will be with us until we step foot into eternity in heaven. Powers. That power, no more. With the grace of God to live in his strength. And while we forget that Christ died, yes, to redeem us, yes, to save us, yes, to free us, but he died, you know, those are never purpose statements. He died on the cross that we might die to sin. Died of sin. How dare I, let's make it personal here, how dare I not die to sin if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ if he has died for me? Are we going to be sinlessly perfect? No, not until we step foot again to heaven. But it doesn't mean that we do not follow his example and follow his purpose in our lives to fight that battle of sin. Instead of giving up and presenting, here you go, okay, I can't fight it. Let me just, no. That's weak. And you said, but Stacey, I am weak. Yes, we all are, but he is strong. 
Daniel It's that active thought, that active purpose in our hearts and minds about God's grace, because we live under His grace, His strength. We are to die to sin daily. Paul said, I die daily. What? No, he didn't assume room temperature. He's talking about the, 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 the idea of dying to sin in his life. He fought it every day. He even said, you know, the things that I, I wouldn't do, I do. The things I would do, I, I don't do. A wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body? Thanks be to God. God has given us a triumph and victory over sin. Die to sin. Keep on dying to sin. And the next part comes right along with it. Because not only are we to die to sin, but we are to live to unto righteousness. His purpose for us, his purpose of his suffering, bearing our sin. Can you, can you imagine? I think I mentioned this last week. He did not cry in the Garden of Gethsemane thinking of the physical suffering. That really wasn't. We, other men and women, have suffered the pain that Jesus suffered. The crucifixion, the, the pain of crucifixion was, was horrible. It was not given to Roman citizens. It's, it wasn't the physical pain, it was the spiritual. The weight of our sins on him. So much so the Father had to turn away. For what purpose? Live. To righteousness. Well, that's being legalistic. No. Legalistic is adding to salvation. It's saying, well, you got to do this and this in order to be saved. That's legalism. Living to righteousness is just the purpose that he, he made for us on the cross as he saved us. He gave us the example of suffering. Right? He gives us now the purpose of our lives. To live unto Christ, live to righteousness. What a beautiful thing. That when we see ourselves as we try to die to sin, we by his strength, by his grace, we see that progress, as, as Brendan prayed this morning, the growth in our lives that we, we take. Sometimes we take two steps forward, one step back. Okay? The, the, you know, the trajectory of the Christian life is not meteoric. Woo! It, but we want to be trending upward, right? Up and to the right. And by God's strength, we can not to do it alone. That's foolishness. But we are to do it. That's why he died. That is why he died. And if anyone tells you anything other than that, that you can do what you want to and live the way you want to because you got, you got free entry into heaven, they're lying to you. They have something else they want to sell to you. They're selling another gospel. Paul said, whether me or another angel... Preach another gospel, let it be a curse. Galatians. Live to righteousness. And when I look at this, I see freedom. What? You see freedom in dying? Yeah. I see the freedom from my sin, the chains. Living the righteous, I see joy in living righteously. I see the favor of God on someone who lives righteously. Not because I live righteously and that God gives so that God will give me favor. It's that the joy that I receive as I walk with Him 
and the blessings that he bestows as he gives grace. And it's not always easy, but there's joy in this. There is the abundant living that people talk about all the time. All right? There's abundance of living with the grace of God and the purpose of God in his cross. And there's freedom. There's joy. There's purpose. He finishes. Oh, this is another verse I want you to see. For Christ also died for our sins. Once for all the just for the unjust, he might bring us to God, having put to death the flesh made alive in the spirit. So these are my uh, verses that are giving us the idea of what it's not the only time that God says this. Made him to do no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay. Verse 25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. Before Jesus, before the cross, who are we wondering? Going our own path. Doing what we want to do. Follow my own ambition. And Peter calls that strain. What do you know? It's a little more of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. But now you have returned. Look at these two words here. Shepherd and guardian. Shepherd and guardian. What's a shepherd do? Tend, feed, care, love. He also guards. But, but Peter, by the Holy Spirit, wanted to give that a little more emphasis. Yes, a shepherd would do that. We don't have to read it into the guardian, guardian part, do we? He puts it there for us. It's a guardian for us. Why do we need guarding? Sin. It's power over us. We allow, we give it to it. He guards our soul because of his saving grace for us. We will be presented in heaven, now redeemed, safe, secure in him. He's a guardian of our souls. See, as he says, by his wounds you are healed, restored spiritually. Where we once were straying, now we have a shepherd, we have a guardian, we have a purpose, we have an example, we have a Savior who bore our sins on his own body on the tree. What a beautiful thing to understand that our God does not just extend salvation, winds the clock and lets it go, but is with us, has given us a purpose for our living. And in that, he also gives us the strength 
See, if we don't have this firmly in our minds and our hearts, we stray from our purpose. If we don't see the object of Christ's suffering is that we have followed his example, that the cross and his death points to our dying to sin and our raising living and righteousness, we go off our own way. We stray from that. We remove ourselves, if we can, from the, as far as we can, from the shepherd or the garden. And we get into trouble. We have all been here. Shake your heads. Nobody in this room as a follower of Jesus, if not, strayed, move away, but you have a Savior. Purpose. I wonder this morning, if the purpose of the cross is firmly implanted in your heart and soul. Are you sure? First of all, are you sure that you're a follower of Christ? Come to the point where you cast all of your cares, your sins, upon him, received of himself, of him, victory for yourself, salvation, by his grace. Didn't I? Have you come to that point? And if you have, praise God, understand the purpose of the cross, is not to live the same old way you lived before you came to Christ. kind of crude, but I'm going to say it anyway. As if when we live our own way, we do not, do not as believers die to sin and actively try by God's grace to live the righteous, as if as we come to the foot of the cross and spit there. Folks, this is serious. You wonder why there's no victory and power in your life? You wonder why you seem so far from God and you're struggling with, with life, but you know you're saved. You wonder why you've forgotten your purpose. You've forgotten your purpose. You, you forgot to start with why. Borrow from Simon Sinek. You forgot the why as a believer. I've forgotten the why when I go my own way. And please my own self. But it doesn't have to be deep. You have a shepherd, a guide, a guardian to keep your soul. An example to follow. Will you follow that example? Let's stop. Gracious God, by your mercy, you brought us to hear this today. Father, for those of us who are struggling with sin, who feel that as if they have no victory in life, let them know that with you there is victory. With you there is grace to overcome. In fact, that it is the purpose of the <coughs> Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the agony, for the suffering, May we model our suffering after Christ and how we live, how we respond. May we live out to the purpose. Lord, may we who hear your word today 
dedicate ourselves to living the purpose of the cross. Lord, would you by your Holy Spirit pour out your Spirit upon us that we might live in the power and the strength of victory over sin and live into righteousness. May we not be defeated, but may we live in power. May we know the comfort of your Spirit. May we know the conviction of your Spirit. May we know the strength we have through Jesus Christ. Father, change us. May we trace ourselves after Christ. May your your great glory be seen in and through us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.